you know, having done this case for as many years as I have, I've been back to court a lot of times over the course of the 30-something years. So we'll hold the state's feet to the fire. And if they don't meet the demand benchmarks, then I know our team uh, will be right back in court. This is the full story. I'm Tom Couser. Last year, the landmark lawsuit Chef versus O'Neill was finally settled after 30 years of litigation. The case aimed to integrate the school system in the Hartford area. Elizabeth Horton Chef filed the suit in 1989 on behalf of her 10-year-old son Milo against William O'Neill, who was the governor of Connecticut at the time. By the way, Milo is now in his 40s and a grandfather. But the settlement had more hurdles to clear before it could go into effect. In 2022, last year, we spoke with Martha Stone. She was a lead attorney in the original lawsuit. She's also the founder and director of the Center for Children's Advocacy at the University of Connecticut. And back then, I asked her about the terms of the settlements. In this new settlement, the state promises to create more access to magnet and suburban schools, for Hartford students. What do you think of the settlement? What's your perspective on this? When I started the case back in 1989, there were no magnet schools. There was one little fledgling program in a funeral parlor that was a performing arts half-day program. It wasn't even a school. And now, all these years later, we have 41 magnet schools. We have thousands of kids going to the Open Choice Program in the suburban districts. The most important goal that we had when we started this case was to ensure that every Hartford student that wanted a quality integrated education would have that access. That's the achievement of this latest agreement because all these years we never had that guarantee, we never had a plan, and we never had funding to back up the plan. And so that's the most important piece of this latest agreement. Does the settlements offer you a a sense of closure here? Um, No, because um, the settlement requires that the state meet demand. There is a 10-year permanent injunction, and we have to do a lot of close monitoring. And we have to hold the state accountable to what they agreed to in this agreement, and the legislature has to provide a sustainable funding mechanism for the magnets to exist. So there isn't closure yet, um, not to mention that the legislature still has to approve this settlement agreement. So, you know, the judge gave tentative approval. It has to go to the legislature, and then it has to go back to the judge to put his final signature on And then the 10 years starts, and then we have to monitor it closely, and we have to make sure that the state is meeting that demand. Because if the demand exceeds capacity, as outlined in this agreement, the state has to come up with some other ideas about capacity. That is part of a conversation that I had with Attorney Martha Stone uh, last year after the settlement was announced. We talked about the terms of the settlement back then. So What has happened since then? We've invited Attorney Stone back to answer that question, and she joins me 
via Zoom. Counselor Stone, hello and uh, welcome back. Hello. Thank you for having me again. Certainly. So in March of last year, the Education Committee and the General Assembly approved the Chef versus O'Neill settlement. And after that, as, as we discussed, it was supposed to go back to the court for final approval. Where is the settlement in this process? So uh, the legislature did not act, which meant that uh, the agreement went into effect uh, and then it went back to the judge for final approval. He gave that final approval and now the implementation phases have begun. Has the legislature since then created a funding system of some sort for for the new Baghdad schools, part of the settlement? Not 100% yet. I mean, there are there has been some changes in this last legislative session. The state is going to look at how they can deal with the ECS funding formula for all schools, not just magnet schools. So some of the progress is happening. Uh, you know, we're not there yet. And as again, as we discussed, there's a 10 year permanent injunction on the settlement. Could you explain what that means and uh, has that clock, that 10-year clock, begun to run? Uh, yeah, the 10-year clock began to run the day that the judge approved the settlement agreement. What happens now is, is that we have to monitor, is the state meeting the demand? And there are different benchmarks set forth in the permanent injunction, which the state needs to meet. The first benchmark is that the state, by 2526, must meet entry grade demand for Hartford students for choice schools. That means that any Hartford student that wants a uh, either an integrated magnet school or an open choice program must be given that opportunity for the entry grades. And the entry grades are defined as pre-K, K, sixth grade, and ninth grade. And then there's another benchmark later on that the state has to meet to get non-entry grade demand fulfilled. What happens after the 10 years? Well, hopefully uh, there won't be a problem after the 10 years. You know, hopefully every student will, who wants that opportunity will get that opportunity. I guess technically at the end of the 10 years, if that still doesn't happen, we would have gone back to court prior to that on non-compliance measures. You know, having done this case for as many years as I have, I've been to back to court a lot of times over the uh, over the course of the 30-something years. So, uh, you know, we'll hold the, the state's feet to the fire. And if they don't meet uh, the demand benchmarks, then I know our team uh, will be right back in court. I think we spoke before you mentioned it's been more than 30 years that you've been working on this case. Yeah, I started the case with the team in 1989 and now, what, 2023? Mm -hmm. Milo is 43 years old. Yeah. <laughs> Has there been any new uh, pushback, any new obstacles of any sort that you're aware of that have been put in place or attempted to be put in place since the settlement was reached last year? Frankly, the opposite has happened. There's been a lot of new developments with the State Department of Ed in terms of new marketing initiatives, um, new lottery system, expanded seats. The application numbers during COVID were down. Now they're back up again. I believe I have the latest um, figures, but as of uh, the beginning of May, 
there were almost 19,000 applications that included Hartford and Suburban, that included uh, magnets, open choice, and uh, technical schools. So, you know, 18,981 families are looking for something else. So there are definite improvements. I would say the one barrier that we're still facing is the reluctance of the suburban districts to open up their seats particularly in the non-entry grades. There are still hundreds of Hartford students and families that want to go to the suburban schools surrounding Hartford, whether it's the second grade, the third grade, the fifth grade, the 10th grade, and the suburban districts are basically saying no. And that's a challenge and that's a barrier. Is that, is that a problem that could derail the, the agreement, the settlement? It won't derail it because the state has an obligation to come up with the numbers in any kind of mechanism. So if they can't get it through open choice, they're going to have to get it through magnets. But the, it's not an excuse, but it's really, you know, it's it's a less expensive way. And it's an important way because the advantages of integration are both for the Hartford kids and for those suburban kids, particularly in Connecticut, where our, our towns uh, are so segregated. Would you say that the reluctance of surrounding towns to open up their systems to Hartford school kids is stronger, weaker, the same as it was uh, back in the day when this suit was uh, first filed? I'd say um, it's probably the same, which is a sad commentary. I mean, we have not made significant progress in increasing the numbers on open choice, uh, and you can see some of the reluctance in some of the suburban districts that aren't even part of the chef case that's been happening recently around the whole state. So it's an attitude by some of the boards of ed not to open up the, the seats. Um, it's interesting. Um, there are other issues that seem to reflect that sort of suburban reluctance to urban connections, uh, you know, the affordable housing uh, initiative, yeah. for instance, same idea. It's, it's the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That's what, you know, when you have 169 towns, tiny little towns, right, controlled by tiny little boards of ed with no regional system. Yeah. Is what we get. Yeah. Mm. Has Chef versus O'Neill been seen at all as a template case? to some extent, by other school districts around the country? Yes. There's a case pending in New Jersey right now. It's basically patterned after Chef. You know, another story for you all is like, is Chef controlled by the U.S. Supreme Court decision that just came down, right, on affirmative action? Yeah, yeah. You know, I've gotten a lot of calls um, recently on, well, how does that case affect the Chef case? And... You know, so that's the kind of next iteration of questions, I think. Attorney Martha Stone was the lead attorney, a lead attorney in the original Chef versus O'Neill lawsuit filed uh, more than 30 years ago. And uh, she joined us today to give us an update on the status of uh, the settlement, which was announced a, a full year ago. Counselor Stone, thanks so much for joining us again. And I I think we're going to have to reserve time uh, in the near future to get another update to see how things are going. Yeah, 
try again in another six months, and we'll hopefully have some different numbers for you. Okay, will do. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. That's it for this chapter of The Full Story. Be sure to keep up with our latest posts. You can find them by subscribing on Apple, Google, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Full Story is produced by Fatou Sangare, Sophie Kamizi, and senior producer Dan Lopez. I'm Tom Kuser. Thank you for listening to The Full Story.